Hello everybody and welcome to the Australian Seller Podcast. My name is Chris Thomas and I'll be your host and this is the show where we talk about all things Amazon and e-commerce, whether it be private label, wholesale, dropshipping and how you can generate a recurring income either on the side or as a full-time gig. G'day, g'day guys and welcome back to another episode of the Australian Seller Podcast. So today's episode is episode 85. So if you head over to theaustralianseller.com forward slash 085, you can get all the show notes with my conversation with Stephen Selikoff, who is from productdevelopmentacademy.com, where he helps aspiring and existing entrepreneurs develop new products. So today we deep dive into this massive topic and Stephen shares his many years of experience as an Amazon seller. He actually joined way back in 2006, just as FBA had launched. And uh, he started out as a, as a vendor, as a first, uh, first party seller. Uh, but last year he was actually kicked off along with just about everybody else as a vendor and now he's a third-party seller on Amazon. As you're probably realizing, you know, product differentiation is a super important aspect when it comes to selling on Amazon. If you do Me Too on Amazon, you're dead in the water. And Stephen today teaches us how to create uh, our own proprietary products and by extension our own brands, something that's actually quite dear to my heart. So uh, yeah, stay tuned for that. Now, there's still a lot of uncertainty surrounding the coronavirus outbreak in China, and our thoughts are with all of those who are affected there. I actually caught up with my supplier up on the Gold Coast on the weekend, and uh, things aren't great. So unfortunately for us Amazon sellers who still source out of China, the government is continuing to pose and making travel restrictions even more tighter or tight in China, both internally and externally. Uh, the Yiwu market, as I mentioned last week, has been closed, and it now looks as though the Canton Fair has actually been cancelled, although that's still not super official. There was a note that went out from the Canton Fair organisers last week uh, announcing that uh, all f- exhibitions at the moment certainly have been cancelled, There, are, and it's not just the Canton Fair. There are hundreds of uh, exhibitions and fairs that have been cancelled based on what's happening in China at the moment. So now more than ever, it's increasingly urgent to diversify your sourcing, uh, which is why I strongly recommend that you head over to India with me to the Delhi Fair. Tim Jordan will be there, as will uh, many others. We've got um, uh, Gary Huang will be there, Mark Jolly will be there, and of course Megla Badwaj, who runs the India sourcing trip that we were on last year in October, just puts on an extraordinary tour. So strongly recommend that you head over to indiasourcingtrip.com. Uh, subscribe to Facebook. We're almost over 1,100 members now. Uh, so if you head over to theaustralianseller.com forward slash Facebook, knock yourself out, join the group and join the gang. Oh, that's right. I'm starting private coaching again this year. So um, got a little bit more time up my, on my hands. So uh, please head over to theaustralianseller.com forward slash Chris to book an hour session with me. And uh, I'll make sure that you're heading in the right direction. And I'm going to give you some accountability as well. So uh, that's it for now. Let's get on with today's interview with Stephen Selikoff. Welcome to the show, Stephen. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you very much. And... Well, actually, let, why don't we explain how we've actually got in touch with each other? So, uh, a mutual friend of ours who we love is Megla, mm-hmm. who uh, I think invited you last October, or certainly last year, sometime to speak at the Global Sources Summit, and she's had you on her podcast and mentioned to me that it'd be really good to um, get you on our show or my show to uh, to talk about product sourcing and product development, which is a, a real specialty of yours. So, uh, I just wanted to say a big thanks out, shout out to Megla. Welcome to the show. And uh, can you give us a bit of your background and what, what got you selling on Amazon sure. and designing products and sourcing? And- well, I, um, uh, my background's pretty varied. Uh, I've been an entrepreneur for many, many years. Cool. Um, I love being in control of my own destiny. Yes. And, uh, but uh, as it happens with lots of us, I also got caught up into the corporate world. So I was working at Microsoft for 12 years. I was business manager of two multi-billion dollar divisions under two different vice presidents. So I did that twice, wow. uh, including the worldwide um, uh, sales and marketing division. 
So that was nice to see from the back end of a major corporation how they handled retail. Um, mm. But at the same time, I kept my own businesses going. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a, a pretty cool weight loss product back in 2005. And then in September of 2006, Amazon announced that they would actually do the distribution for you, which I thought was absolutely brilliant. And I jumped right on that pretty quickly. So that's uh, the birth of FBA, isn't it? I that's suppose. the birth of FBA, fulfillment yeah, yeah. by Amazon. Right and the beginning. Uh, yeah. they would hold your stuff in their warehouses and send it around less expensively than um, any of the logistic options that were out there at the time. Yeah. Since then, my, uh, uh, since then, Amazon has increased their prices a bit. <laughs> you noticed. But uh, at the time, it was definitely the best, uh, the best choice. And um, they gave you a free website. Oh, that's nice. So that was pretty cool. And that free website and hosting ended up growing into AWS, which is now their largest uh, profit center at Amazon. Mm. So uh, it was pretty cool. But as, as you and I had chatted, uh, I very soon went off of it, and I went on to Amazon Vendor, yep. um, and which I absolutely love. There are lots of tricks for Amazon Vendor. Uh, people who get on it and say, oh, this is terrible. Um, mm-hmm. There are tricks to make sure that, that it's not so terrible. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then recently, I've, I've come back to Marketplace. But over that time, I've been back and forth to China quite a few times, to the Canton mm-hmm. Fair quite a few times. Um, I've launched five different brands mm-hmm. and I was talking to someone about this the other day and uh, we counted up over 65 different unique one-of-a-kind products that mm-hmm. I've sourced I've developed I've produced and imported from China which is well and great except uh, Dave who's part of our team in the product development Academy Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, immediately laughed because he's got 30 years of going back and forth and over 8,000 unique products that he's developed. Are you so That's it's crazy. A, no, it's, yeah. it's a completely different ball game. Yeah. So, but, uh, so uh, what we should talk about this because the product development is something that I'm really passionate about. And, and obviously there's a lot of the me too type products that are saturating Amazon. So you, there has to be a way you really need to differentiate, don't you? So what sort of products, can you tell us what sort of category or maybe give us an example of a product that you designed? Are you inventing it from scratch or are you iterating on something that's already out there? What are you doing exactly? Yeah, so when people hear about a unique product, they often think, oh, I have to invent something new like like anti-gravity sneakers or something like that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Or um, uh, the old saying, look around you, find a problem and solve it, and you'll have a new product. Well, that does work, but it works in the, in, in the, in the obverse. So when you find a, a product that is successful, it's often because it is solving a problem. Mm. But there are lots of products that are successful that are not solving problems. Um, see if I can grab a, uh, well, here we go. I've got a drinking glass here. Yeah. Uh, lots of drinking glasses. And as you said, differentiate. And one of my favorite quotes is from Jack Trout, differentiate or die. Mm. You don't have to reinvent this drinking glass. You can have a drinking glass. And if you were able to license um, whatever her name is, Stella Ella from Frozen by Walt Disney. Yeah. And you put the princess on here, mm-hmm. you're going to have a bestseller and you haven't invented anything. That's cute. So, uh, the whole idea of, of bringing new products uh, to the marketplace is to understand what the marketplace wants. That's cool. Of course it is. So I do understand you, that. Oh yeah. And then I mean, I my the way that I look at product development is often iterating on products that I you know potentially find on Amazon. That mm-hmm. I think some of the best market research that you can do as a product developer is actually just read all the reviews. And then focus in on the one and two star, possibly threes. And in fact, all the stars really. And then just sort of understand what people like about the products um, in the category and also what they don't like. And if there's a consistent sort of pattern to what they don't like, then and you can solve that, that issue that's causing problems for customers. Then that's when you've got a better mousetrap, right? So, Absolutely. I was, uh, I'm about to do some traveling. So I just went online today to uh to buy uh some noise canceling headphones mm. and i'm looking for some inexpensive ones 
And it's just wonderful to go through because you see people complaining about one of them, that the, the cups are too small for their ears and suddenly the next one pops up and it says, our cups are bigger for your ears. And they <laughs> identify right away what people were, were complaining about. Yeah, that's clever. And then they end up with a bestseller and, and, um, yeah. and that's what it's all about. So the other thing, oh, I'm yeah. sorry, Mark. no, no, I'd like, the, like it the other thing is, is to start looking at um, where are there opportunities that are just not being filled at all. Because if yes. you can put something out there that has no competitors, mm. then you're in much bigger control. Mm. Um, the uh, uh, Adam Smith did the law of supply and demand. Mm -hmm. And uh, the demand curve uh, on Amazon basically uh, is pretty stable unless you've got, you know, something gets really hot fast, like fidget spinners, the demand mm -hmm. curve is always going to be the same. Mm. But the supply curve Mm. Uh, the more something pops up on, on uh, Zone Guru or Jungle Scout, the more that the supply curve is going to be artificially pushed off to the right, means the price point is going to come down and, and people see that. So you, you want something that's unique, that doesn't have competitors or that allows you to differentiate yourself from your competitors mm. because it's just pure basic economics. If you're all doing the same, then the equilibrium point or the price point is going to come down. It, it yeah. has no other choice. No, there's only one, one lever that gets left, isn't there? And that's the price lever. And that's the only one that people can influence. So Exactly. Exactly. And no one wants to lower their prices. So no. everyone competes on better listings, better photos, uh, more PPC. Mm. Um, and then, you know, eventually there's some new person that comes on and says, well, I'm just going to drop my price Exactly, and, and then the next person does it. And you see also to a lot of new sellers who get into the Amazon game, and they and they do they get into one of those categories, which is a little bit oversaturated, and there is a lot of me too, and not much differentiation. They basically have just sourced the same thing as everybody else, and what they often end up doing is liquidating their inventory at pretty much at cost, or even less, to try or and even less, yeah. to try to exit the position that they've got themselves into because they can't sell because they don't have enough reviews. Or and whatever. that hurts everybody. And that hurts everyone. And the whole thing just gets dragged down. And I, I tend to see that happening as well. One of the most common questions I see actually from new sellers on Amazon is, um, I've got all this stock. I either, you know, how do I get rid of it? Is it something I do on eBay? I, you know, I've got, I need to get it out of Amazon. I'm paying too much in, you know, the, the storage fees and whatnot. So yeah, it can, uh, it, it can end badly without differentiation. I agree. Yeah. So, and now uh, Amazon is, <laughs> has, well, they did it for a while and they slowed down, but now they're increasing their recruitment of Chinese factories to sell directly to yeah. the consumers. I actually had which, a business, which, I had a business on, last year business. that I, I bought, um, that was a little bit distressed and, Within nine months, the Chinese had pretty much the factories were going direct, and mm -hmm. this business that I bought it was basically one product with a whole bunch of different colours. But it became, to, to your point, uh, a me too and a commodity, which the factories are now going direct. So the middle men and women like me, who were, you know, we were all getting cut out because they were offering exactly the same product. Luckily, managed to exit with a, with a reasonable exit and a reasonable profit. But the yeah, the writing was on the wall. So yeah, the Chinese factories, just to your point, um, are not only uh, they're starting to go direct, and what that's doing is also impacting um, you know, traditional private labelers. So yeah, you got to be really careful. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. But it, to be honest, Chris, it, it makes sense from Amazon's point of view. Um, I've mm. I've been lucky enough a couple of times to have Amazon try to recruit me, and one of the things they do when they recruit you is they send you their fourteen leadership points. Mm -hmm. And you're supposed to memorize these and, and apply them in every aspect of, of your work at Amazon corporate. And by the way, I'm in Seattle mm -hmm. and so Amazon's right yeah, here. They're right there. My, uh, I'm, I'm at home now, but my, my office during the daytime is 75 uh, stories above Amazon. I can look down on them. <laughs> but uh, so Amazon has their 14 leadership principles. And the very first one, the number one, most important to them is to, to always focus on the customer. Yeah. So now when you think about Amazon and they look at what is happening with third-party sellers buying products from suppliers in China mm. and then selling them on the platform, Amazon looks at that and says, okay, so there's a supplier or a factory in China. Mm -hmm. They have a product that they could sell for 
two or three dollars. So they are selling that on AliExpress and Wish and so mm-hmm. on. They're selling it also to trading companies for let's let's just for easy math, let's say for two dollars. Mm-hmm. The trading companies are then putting it on Alibaba and selling it for three dollars. Mm-hmm. And um, third-party sellers are finding an Alibaba buying it, shipping in here. So it's already costing them $4. So they put it online for $5 in order, in order to cover their, their PPC costs. Yeah. So uh, Amazon looks at it and says, well, our customers mm-hmm. can find the same products by going to Wish or AliExpress and paying $2. Mm. One, we're losing customers. And two, much more importantly, we are not serving our customers the best we can do. Yeah. So with that philosophy, they went to China and said, hey, guys, I know you're looking at Wish and you're looking at AliExpress, but look at Amazon too, and we will help you. Uh, we'll set up, I mean, actually I have a video from the presentation that, that uh, Amazon did uh, about a year or so ago. I also have some other presentations they did. Mm. And, and they are very, very sincere. They are very sincere in wanting to help the factories mm. uh, because that is their number one leadership principle. Mm. And um, for those of us who sell on Amazon or sell to retailers, it forces us to up our game. And, and it comes back exactly to that word you used when we started talking, differentiate. You've yeah. got to differentiate. Or as I teach my people, start off with unique products. Then you have complete control. There is no competition forcing your, your, your uh, price down. Isn't it interesting that, yeah, it's funny. It's not funny for me, but one of my products that I've enjoyed, it is a completely unique and differentiated product. There really wasn't anybody um, on Amazon that had even come close to kind of matching what, what it is. Um, and then late last year, a Chinese factory had clearly got hold of one and had replicated it perfectly. Oh, yeah. In fact, they're actually um, just sort of in the process of launching against my product and it totally copied it. I mean, I've actually have one. I ordered one off Amazon just to have a look at it, but it, it just stunned me how, I mean, I don't sell that many of this particular product, but the Chinese are at the point now where they're actually just sort of, they're stealing ideas completely. And if you're, we haven't actually talked about how do you protect your ideas, um, but I'm really regretting now not having a design pattern, for example. So maybe we could talk about how do you protect some of the ideas that you create and how do you stop the factories from copying um, your, your unique and, and fully differentiated products? So first of all, there's no way of stopping them completely. I use the example of the, the princess from Disney on this. Um, there are thousands of factories out there who have Disney princesses on their products, and they are clearly breaking um, all sorts of laws to do mm. so. Mm. And they're doing it anyway. Um, despite that, China has uh, particularly recently tried harder to, to respect um, copyrights and trademarks and patents. Mm. And when you go to the Canton Fair, and, which is three major complexes, each one the size of an airport, in each one of the buildings, they have offices set aside specifically mm-hmm. for intellectual property complaints. So oh, yeah. they are taking it pretty seriously. Um, so going back to how to do it, mm. um, it's relatively simple, but there are some big steps a lot of people miss. Right. So first of all, you're absolutely right. Get, try to patent a design patent or utility patent. Patent pending or a uh, provisional patent does not help you. Uh, the challenge with both of those is that they do cost a little bit of money and they do take a little bit of time, but the sooner you start it, the better. So here is step one that people miss. The patent um, and the trademark are limited by the, uh, the boundaries of your country. So if you're going to be selling in the U.S., you want to make sure that you have intellectual property protection in the U.S. if you're selling in Australia, in Australia. But you also want to have that intellectual property protection in China. Because let's say that you trademarked Thomas Design. Yes. And you have all of your wonderful products coming out of Thomas Design, but you never trademarked it in China. And that factory that went and copied your product, they could then take the trademark Thomas Design in China. And after you have it produced and it's sitting at the dock waiting to leave, they can force you not to let that product leave China mm. and basically say, nope, you're not going to leave unless you give us a little money here to let us let it go because we own the, the trademark. trademark. 
Yeah, we have the intellectual so, rights. Yeah. Exactly. So you definitely want to make sure that you do your patents and your trademarks both in the country where you're selling and in China because you want to protect yourself there. The next thing is that you want to make sure you have the proper agreement signed with your suppliers. Yes. And the most common and well-known one is the NNN, which stands for non-compete, non-disclose, non-circumvent. Non-compete is obvious. They're not going to compete selling the same product. Mm-hmm. Non-disclose is a little bit more subtle mm-hmm. because a non-disclosure is great up until that moment that you publicize your product. So the moment you post your product, the non-disclosure is null and void. Yeah. And then the non-circumvent is very interesting. <clears throat> and it's, it's particular to China where it's so important. So a little bit of history. Uh, China um, built these development zones to fight poverty. So, for mm-hmm. example, around... Um, say, north, uh, northwest of Shanghai, you'll find Wuxi, Hangzhou, and other cities that are all built up for home textiles. Mm-hmm. All of the mills are there, all of the resources are there, um, and of course, all of the factories are there. And then people come from all over rural China into that area and work home textiles. The same thing for ceramics, for toys, Shantou, plastics, uh, mm. plastics and Taizhou. Um, electronics in Shenzhen, everyone mm-hmm. knows about. So what happens then is that the, the, uh, the people with a little bit of money start a factory. Mm-hmm. And then their cousin starts a factory, and then their cousin's best friend starts a factory, and so on. So that means that they say, aha, I love Chris's new product. I'm going to copy it. But I signed a non-disclosure, a non-com- non-compete. So I'm just going to casually mention it at dinner with my cousin and my cousin's mm-hmm. brother. Hmm. And um, let's see if they kind of pick up on the conversation. They start doing it in their own factories. They give me a little bit of, of money back under the table in a red envelope. Hmm. Uh, it's actually called Guanxi. It's a network, hmm. a business network right. within China. Hmm. And the, the third end, the non-circumvent, means that you are not going to circumvent the agreement and, and try to get away with it. And that's the one where which the Chinese, uh, Chinese attorneys have so much fun with because they start going backwards in the networks and, and stuff like that. And follow the line stuff. down. So yeah. Yeah, I actually do, do have a trademark in China for my brand. The interesting thing here was that the Chinese factory in question actually private labeled it. So mm-hmm. they whacked their own brand on it. Oh, so yeah. I probably need to get some legal advice as to whether I, I have any rights at all on Amazon with regards to copyright. Ironically, one of the sellers, there's two sellers, one of the sellers, sorry, this is a whole turning into an interview and a story about me, but one of the sellers is actually using two of the images that, I, that I've used on my website. So I'm hoping to have that shut down. But um, See, that, that you have opportunity with because those images, if they're your images and you have the copyright, then they're infringing because they're using copyright. It gets better because one of them is actually using an image that features my trademark in it. So <laughs> part, partial, a bit of the trademark, not all the trademarks. So they might be able to get away with it. Anyway, I'll worry about that later. Let's keep moving on them with this interview because this is about you. Uh, so what about the Canton Fair then? So you, you do go to the Canton Fair. Um, yes. Is that to find new supplies or new ideas? What, what happens at the Canton Fair? Why do you go there? Well, the answer is yes to both. But the the number one reason that uh, my group and I go Hmm. um, is because that is the largest exposition of uh, factories Hmm. in the world. China Hmm. still does 15% of the manufacturing in the world. Hmm. And uh, and it's pretty obvious during phase one when you see all these large manufacturing machines and everything. Hmm. And actually, before I say that, let me just give a little background for people who don't know what the Canton Fair is. So because uh, um, China exports so much across the world, mm-hmm. twice a year, they have a month-long exposition in its own dedicated exposition center in Guangzhou, China. It's the mm-hmm. third largest city in China, about an hour and a half north of Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. And as I said earlier, it is gigantic. It's the size of three airports, 217 football fields, and not the American football fields, the big ones. <laughs> um, it, is, it is amazing. Mm. But because they have so many factories and suppliers, they actually have to split them up into three groups. So the first phase, which is about five days, is um, 
uh, electronics. Mm-hmm. It's uh, vehicles, automobiles, automobile repair, and so on. Mm-hmm. Machinery, industrial chemicals, <clears throat> etc. Mm-hmm. The second one, which is what most Amazon sellers would be familiar with if, they, if, if they've gone to the Canton Fair, is CPG, which is consumer packaged goods, and that's your housewares, your kitchenwares, your gifts, your holiday stuff, um, flowers, uh, fake flowers, uh, garden, home. Yeah. All of that falls into consumer packaged goods. It also mm-hmm. has pets. Um, and, and basically anything you can imagine selling on Amazon with the exception of a few things which show up in phase three. And that's uh, clothing, apparel, mm-hmm. men's, women's, children's, shoes, sneakers, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, sporting goods, bags, knapsacks, luggage, and DMG, which is durable medical goods. So everything from massage chairs to crutches. Right, right. And uh, that's all uh, phase three. Mm. And, and also supplements there. But if you're doing cosmetics, that's usually that's phase two. Yeah. So um, that's good. That's uh, a really we, good explanation. We go, yeah. we go there looking for the factories, and just mm-hmm. like Alibaba. Oh, I've got Alibaba stories to share with you. But just yeah, like we should Alibaba, talk about that because that's a real go-to. There isn't are. It? Um, oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, there are both trading companies and factories, mm-hmm. and uh, and we teach our our folks because they want to to meet people who own factories. We teach them mm. how to, to discern one from the other. Yeah. And then uh, with their product ideas already in their mind, they'll sit down and talk to the factory owners. And um, sometimes they can talk straight out about their product because it's, it's something that is um, safe to talk about. But yep. most of the time we actually teach them to talk about a decoy product. So Clever. again, using this glass right here, if I was going to be doing a drinking glass, Mm. Um, with a uh, um, with a Disney princess on it, I would talk mm-hmm. about maybe a glass vase the same size. Yeah. So the same construction method, which in this case is a uh, which is a glass mold, mm. and uh, and have instead of a Disney princess, you maybe have a, a, a smiley face on the outside or something. So that I want to make sure they have the capability of doing the print on glass, they're able to do the t- right type of glass, and so on without yes. telling them what my product is. And then they would go through from, from a supplier to supplier and uh, have conversations with them. And now here's the interesting thing. There are three types of buyers that show up at the Canton Fair. And we are the third type. Our type is we're not going to buy anything. We're there just to meet the owners of the factories, mm-hmm. start a relationship, and then continue that conversation when we get back to mm. our homes mm. because our products are unique. And before we give them all the details, we're going to have them sign that NNN. Yeah. The first two types of buyers are those that are buying for their own stores and they'll sit down and you'll see them mm. do a, a million or $2 million order for their chain of, of uh, 50 pet stores. Um, and, and that's probably close to, 60% of the, the people that come there, another 25% or so are people who are buying for their business. So I mentioned industrial chemicals during phase one and um, uh, con- construction, uh, uh, things for the construction business and so on. Mm. And if, if you're building you know, a bunch of condos in Dubai, you can go to the Canton Fair and get all of your supplies less expensively. Directly. Uh, so that's 60, 25%. We're the third group. And actually, one smaller group than that, smaller than the ones who are selling in their own stores, are people who are selling online on yeah. Amazon. Yeah. And it's, it's very, very humbling to a lot of people who have come with us who sell on Amazon to walk around the Canton Fair and realize that to these suppliers, yeah. Um, Amazon is not what makes the world go around. <laughs> no, they're insects <laughs> who are placing often very small orders and negotiating on MO, small MOQs yeah. as they can get. And yeah, I know exactly. Um, interesting. Why don't we? Oh, and MOQs is another thing we need to talk about, Chris. Well, let's do it. Let's get. Let's jump on it. I so, do want to so talk about Alibaba at some point, but um, yeah, let's talk about MOQs for a second. Though. Sure. Here, here's here's a great actionable item you can take right away. People Thanks, can David. use that to help themselves. All right. Um, MOQs. Um, sometimes there are very specific reasons why um, I have a product that has to go into a specially printed plastic bag. And just because they have to 
shut down the line, put my special size bags in and print them out, they asked for an MOQ of at least 10,000, mm-hmm. which makes sense. I mean, yeah. they want to make money. I want to make, have them make money. I want me to make money. I want my customers to, to save money. Everyone needs to be happy. So I can live with that. But other times, the MOQ is just a gating method. They just want to see, are you serious or not? Particularly once you mention Amazon or you mention DDP um, or you mention Finsky or all these things that let people know that, okay, yeah, you're, you're down here, the insect. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you're one of them. So, um, so what MOQ is in that case is a gating method. And here's a great thing. Take MOQ out of the equation. Talk about your product at the container size or at least a large order size. Maybe even just a 20-foot container, which frankly can be filled pretty quickly once you move off the Amazon platform. Mm. Um, And then when you're ready and you say, look, I'm just going to start. I want to test it out. We've done all of our research. We've done market research. We've done uh, customer demand validation. We really think this is a winner. But uh, I'm not going to, you know, put all of my money or my investor's money into this product from you until I know you can deliver and that customers actually want to reach into their pocket, take out their wallet and pay for it. Mm -hmm. So we're going to start with a a thousand units and they'll hem and haw. They've already worked with you for a while. I got something in my eye here. They've worked with you for a while. Mm -hmm. So they don't really don't want to see you walk away, but they also don't want to do a thousand units. Mm -hmm. So, They'll say, no, it has to be the MOQ and everything else. And you just come back and you ask them, I understand that. What's the surcharge for my smaller order? Mm. So let's say that your, your glassware was $4 each. Mm-hmm. And they'll come back and say, okay, yeah, well, yeah, we can do it with a surcharge, but it's going to be a dollar fifty more mm-hmm. per glassware. So now your price is five fifty more than you wanted to pay. Sure but you can understand their position. So you come back and you say, okay, can I have that surcharge credited back on my next order? That's really cool. So now they're thinking, okay, yeah, well, if he only does one order, if he's Amazon, if he's going to go on for two months and quit like 75% of people do, <laughs> yeah. then, then we've made our money. No problem. Hmm. But if, if, this, if this guy really knows what he's talking about, if he really has a successful product here, he's going to come back and buy more from us. We'll be selling the, That's right. the quantities we want. So, yeah, yeah we're happy so we to do it, that. At that point, yeah. Exactly. And yeah. if it is successful and you are going back and ordering more, now, because it's all been paid back to you, hmm. your across-the-board price is back to $4. It meets your, Target. your minimum. Hmm. And you're not losing any money. They're not losing any money. And MOQ has been taken out of the equation. Yep. You don't have to talk about it anymore. How do you validate your ideas? You know, you mentioned oh. sort of, you know, I mean, you mentioned about, you know, we've validated with our customers and we've validated, uh, I don't know, with our investors or whatever. But how do you, what's your methodology around that? So you come up with an idea. Right. So in my old program, we had 14 methods of validation. We are mm-hmm. now up to 21 methods on my new Holy. program. Wow, <laughs> that's a lot. Um, well, just because it is so, so important. And mm-hmm. what we do is we follow the traditional product development, uh, BAH, Booz, uh, Booz Allen Hamilton mm-hmm. method of product development. Um, but we also bring some other things into that process. And anyone who's familiar with software development, we try to keep agile, but we also bring some um, waterfall, waterfall developments in. So we have mm-hmm. gated processes. And it, there are certain points where you have to make a, a go or no-go decision. Yeah, Is this something I'm going forward with? The, the first one is profitability. If you can't get at least a 7x multiplier, then drop the product. There are millions of other products out there. Mm-hmm. But the second one is exactly what you asked about, and that's validation of customer demand, validation. Mm-hmm. So... One, which is the one that most people know about, it was talked about by Tim Ferriss in his uh, four-hour work week, mm. and uh, Drew Houston, who is in the same office tower as, as I am, who started Dropbox, um, used the same method as well. Um, and then Eric Reese talks about it in he does, the, the, the Lean Startup. startup. Mm. So oh, I love it. I love people yeah. who know that book. 
pivot or persevere. <laughs> or <just> Absolutely. <laughs> now, now I got to give you a fist bump across the, I know, but there you go. Perfect. <laughs> Thanks. So, yeah. So as Eric Reese describes, you know, mm. you want to test it with your customers. Now with, with um, a software or something of that. Um, and, and Drew Houston did it. Mm. Um, he actually put up a site and had people sign up for, for Dropbox. Yes. And uh, his investors actually didn't even pay attention to him. He put it out there. He got like 75,000 people signed up. And now his investors were just lined up to give him money. Mm. Um, and I may have that number off by a, a factor of 10. Uh, so don't don't uh, <laughs> hold me to that. It's fine. We do, we do the same thing. Um, you're selling your glass with a Disney princess on it. Mm-hmm. And you validate with actual customers. Mm. Will they, do they want it? And yeah. uh, we actually teach people that's a little more subtle than that. So I would stop you. First of all, I'd identify who my customer is. If mm-hmm. it's a Disney glass, it's probably parents. They're probably budget conscious. So um, mm-hmm. in the U.S., I would probably go to Walmart. Um, because it is a drinking glass and everything else, I'd probably go to Woolworths in Australia. Yeah. I just walk through the parking lot and I would stop people and I would say, what do you think about this? Is this something mm. that you might consider buying? And that's it. Real open-ended. Yep. Let them tell me, oh yes, my kids do anything for, for Frozen or Disney yeah. princesses or stuff like that. Or, uh, no, I'm just, I'm, 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 a, uh, don't have any kids left. My kids are grown up. I wouldn't think about buying stuff with, with princesses. Yeah. But at least you start getting feedback. Then you ask the next question. How much would you pay for this? And that's important because you might know if you, if you have a unique product, it's different than seeing something that's online. When you have something online, it's like, okay, well, we know that everyone's charging 20 bucks for the, for, for the drinking glass. Mm. And I'm going to have a Disney princess on it. I think I can charge 25 and you kind of guess at it. But when you start throwing people glass this size with a Disney princess and I don't know, whatever else to make it special, people might be coming back and saying, yeah, well, I'm going to guess I'd pay about $39, $40 for that and so on. That's and cool. if that's what people are saying to you, but you had just assumed it's 25, you mm. could have listed it for 25, got a whole bunch of sales mm. and left 15 bucks per item on the table. On top. On top. Yeah, that's right. But when you, you do that, that validation, not only do you want to make sure people will buy it, but you want to make sure that what you find out, again, open-ended questions, mm. what they think they would pay for. And then just to take validation further, now you're all ready, and, and as I say, I, I'm, I love retailers. So now you've got this, and you're ready to go on retailer shelves. You've got to put this in a box. You've got to have it protected or mm-hmm. something, that label. Now you go back out in the streets again, and you ask people again, look at this package. Would you buy this one, or would you buy this one? Do mm-hmm. A and B testing. Yeah. Ask them, you know, <clears throat> just give them the package, and don't say anything. Say, what do you think is inside this package? See if that communicates well. Mm. But at every step that you can, you go back out and you validate. Mm-hmm. Um, someone sent me a, uh, an old uh, uh, TV movie from 1960 uh, in the U.S. where they're mm-hmm. showing that uh, this company, which they wouldn't name, has this brand new technology from the, the space program in there. And they're going to women. Like women, this is groundbreaking. They're actually asking women, will you buy this? Cool. And it's hilarious because, you know, it's, it's uh, about 60 years ago and they're doing the same process that we're doing now and the same process they did before. Mm. Their groundbreaking was they actually asked women <laughs> in 1960. Wow. Yes. Uh, but <laughs> and that's what we teach. And it's mm. so important. You so can't, You can't, can't do um, uh, mm. keywords to find out if your product's going to work. That's not a way of validating. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm giving you two hints here. The first is go out and ask people. The other is don't depend yeah. on keywords. And the reason that I say that is fidget spinners is a great example. Mm. I've, I've got a, one of our students who's launching a product and people mm-hmm. said there's no keywords for it. It's not going to work. It's a unique product. Yep. She's selling a lot. And um, this is on Amazon. Oh, talk about scale. So it's a durable medical goods. Yes. She's got, she's got four designs now. She's going into multiple more designs. Mm-hmm. So she's going to have a number of spaces on 
on the, uh, the shelf. And durable medical goods, again, are wheelchairs, massage chairs, crutches. Crutches, and, yeah. And, uh, all that stuff. Mm. Um, so if she can get into, if she can sell five units, I'm going to do my math here. So I'm going to use the calculator so I don't screw this That's up. Fine, so that's this, fine, that's fine. So if she can sell five units uh-huh. and just make $2 per unit. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if she can sell five units a week at $2 a unit, that's $10 a week mm-hmm. selling her products. And of course, when retailers, they're not going to buy just one design like someone does on Amazon. When you sell to retailers, they're going to buy all of the designs or at mm-hmm. least four or five because they want the different facings. They're going to sell them in inner case packs. So they're buying them six at a time and so that's on. That's right. So even at this, t- five units, $2 um, a unit, Mm-hmm. That's $10 a week. She gets into um, CVS, which is a big drugstore chain in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Of course, durable medical goods, crutches, and stuff like that. They have 9,000 stores. So you have 10 bucks times 9,000. Is a lot. That means she's making $90,000 a week. So there's your six-figure seller. If we can bump that up to 100,000, she's a six-figure week. Seller every week, so let's do that 52 weeks. She's actually getting close put to an eight figure seller <laughs> if, you, if you annualize that 55 weeks because during Christmas you can, you know, double a couple of those weeks. So now she's up to four million nine hundred and fifty thousand dollars from one single unique product. Is she married? Um, in one, in one big box store, yeah. You add in Rite Aid or Walgreens, which are other drugstores. Mm. They each have between eight to nine thousand, so now you're looking at over a hundred million, or over ten million dollars a year. Yes, that's right. And then, I mean, that's a whole nother like episode that we should do. Is like how do you, how <laughs> do you get into big box stuff? I stars? love talking with you, Chris. <laughs> I'm really enjoying having this conversation. We've been dropping Alibaba for ages. Actually, just back before we get into Alibaba, I know we keep putting it off, but. Um, I, some of the ways that I've validated in the past, I've used crowdfunding and I'm a, a super mm-hmm. huge fan of pickfu.com as well. And I don't know if that's on your list of 21, but pickfu can also it, help. It help is. And um, uh, I love them. Mm. Uh, there's other versions of that that haven't been as <clears throat> successful. Um, Google does Google opinion. I haven't seen but, uh Oh, I better write that down. Google opinion. And uh, just Google, Google opinion, then the actual, uh, their actual program will pop up. Cool. The, uh, the challenge with, with uh, PicFu and, um, and Google. Google opinion and so on is the fact that you don't have as much control over your audience. Now, PicFu is mm-hmm. great because mm-hmm. they, can, they, they have the ability to choose an audience. But mm-hmm. by definition, it's only the type of people who have signed up to pick food. That's correct. Yes. So and we've got, uh, I've got one of uh, uh, the alumni from my previous program that um, her audience members are, are her target audience uh-huh. is high, very high end. They would never sign up for, for pick food. It's a luxury high priced item. Mm. Um, so in that case, she has to go where they are where both they liter- are. literally and figuratively. Physically, yeah. So, but for lots of pro- programs, yeah, I love PickFu. I stopped you. You were giving me a list of others. So crowdfunding. Oh, no, that's crowd, it. No, I just said crowdfunding. Yeah, I, was, I used Kickstarter once back in 2013. It was quite a successful thing. Might be going back onto either Indiegogo or Kickstarter this year, actually. We'll see how we go in 2020. Just finishing off a new product right now. Um, supplies actually coming out to Australia next week for Chinese New Year because everything's closed down. So she's out here and mm-hmm. I'll catch up with her up in Brisbane and she'll show me a prototype that she's brought back and I'll hand over this Chinese copy of my product, other products <laughs> to her so she can try and fact, tra- track down the factory. Uh, the, anyway, the three, the three best feelings in the world are seeing your own prototype. So it takes from your mind to something you hold yeah, in your hands, yeah. seeing your first product in your hands from an actual production run mm-hmm. and seeing the first checks come in. I mean, none of those gets old. I'm like a little kid. No, I know it's when you get that first sale on your product, mm-hmm. like I just still get shivers. I still remember the very first order that I ever got in 2001 when I first started e-commerce from this guy called Matt Trella. 
who lived mm-hmm. in California. I can't remember his address right now. It's been a little bit too long, but I'll never forget his name. It came through on my little e-commerce software that I had. I think it was called easymerchant.com.au or something. But um, yeah, very, very exciting. It's um, wonderful. Years it? ago, I used, to, uh, I used to do fashion photography and commercial photography. And uh, the first magazine cover I ever shot was for Modern Drummer Magazine. Cool. Um, and it was the uh, drummer from Kiss, oh, Peter Chris. Peter Chris, that's right. Yeah. And um, uh, I was down in Texas when the, um, uh, when the magazine actually went to publication. And I went to a, uh, a music <laughs> store and I just hung out in the music store and I watched people walk up to the stand, see my photo on the cover, pick it up, read it, and, and pay for it. There is nothing more powerful than that. That was That's so cool. So cool. Well done. I love that. All right, then. Okay. I give up now. We have to talk about Alibaba because <laughs> a lot of new sellers particularly um, head off to, to Alibaba to try and source their first product. A lot of courses teach people to go to Alibaba. I guess the question that I have is, well, there's a few, particular, you've mentioned about negotiation in, specifically in relation to MOQ, but the age-old question is really, should I go direct to factory? Should I go through a trading company or should I use a sourcing agent? What are your sort of thoughts and feelings about those sort of three options? And more broadly, I think each one's appropriate for its own situation. Mm -hmm. So let's start with the trading company. Mm -hmm. Um, When I first started getting into um, textile products, I was very lucky to be connected to someone who had a factory, but had incredible patience teaching me everything. And even though I don't do that product anymore, I'm not, I don't use for factory. Every time I'm in Shanghai and I get a chance to go up to Wuxi, I go up to Wuxi just to, to spend so, the afternoon yeah. with her. We go to lunch, we have tea and we talk because that relationship, she bent over backwards for me. Mm. She's wonderful. Um, you're not going to get that very often from factories, but you will get that more often from a trading company. So, yes, you're paying a little bit more, but think about it as paying for an education, paying for patience, paying for understanding. Mm. Um, and that makes it very, very worthwhile to deal with a trading company. Yeah. Um, and also, sometimes you just don't want to, you want a commodity. And in which case, a trading company is perfect. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'll give a little bit of behind the scenes of what happens in my course. Mm-hmm. Uh, we actually have a, a checklist, step by step by step. Everything you do from coming up with your product idea all the way to getting it on retailer shelves. Mm-hmm. And in order to make that more real, we have a fictional product that goes along with it. Oh, we've decided on this product. We take it through all of the steps. Cool. And this fictional product has, gets attached with little grommets and um, twist, uh, uh, zip ties. Okay. Now, you're never, you don't want to reinvent the zip tie. It no. does great as it is. Mm. You want zip ties that are inexpensive mm. and you just want them added into your kit. Mm. And for that, you go to a trading company. Mm. You're not going to go to the zip tie factory and say, can you change this or that? No, you absolutely want a trading company. So there are times also where using a trading company, particularly for commodities, um, is the absolute best thing to do. So there's yeah. trading companies, Convenience. factories. If you're doing something that's unique and different, you want to deal with the factory for a couple of reasons. Number one, the biggest point of failure is communication. I agree. So if you communicate to someone who normally doesn't speak English, what you want, um, and then they communicate what they think they understand to someone else who is a factory and the factory is trying to guess what it is that they're saying because they don't, they, they're guessing themselves, you can run into big problems and errors. And we yeah. see it all the time just from people saying where they want to have their logo placed on a white label product. Mm. And if you mess up that, if they mess up that communication or you don't communication, communicate it well, yeah. um, you're going to have problems. So you absolutely, when you have unique products, highly differentiated products, mm. um, you want to make sure that that you work directly with the factory. So that's one reason communication. The second is we mentioned earlier, the NNN, mm-hmm. the factory is going to sign that. Mm. So if the trading company signs it, it means nothing because the only person who's covered is the trading company. Yeah. You want the factory to cover it the source. because if the factory covers it, 
it covers everything they do and everything they outsource. And I think most people realize, but in case they don't, there's a lot of stuff outsourced when you create a product. Yes. You know, it's, uh, it, so it covers all everyone they outsource from mm. as well. So for those two reasons, you want to deal with a factory. And then number three, mm. the price is going to be less with a factory. Typical. Um, but of mm. course, you have more challenges and so on. And then yeah. lastly, a sourcing agent. Yeah. I love my sourcing agent. So do I. He's been, <laughs> Liz has been living in China for 14 years. Mm-hmm. Um, he and his partner, I've been working with them for, gosh, eight years now. Wow. Yeah. It's a long time. Um, and uh, I've had bad sourcing agents. I've met sourcing agents in China. I've met them at the Canton Fair when they used to let them line up outside of complex B and they would say, Oh, I'm a sourcing agent and introduce themselves. They don't do that anymore. This particular fellow, I was on an airplane flying from the U S to China and I'm standing in line for the men's for the bathroom. And I'm hearing this guy just talk on and on about sourcing products from China. So I started talking to him and we spent probably three to four hours chatting on the way over. (coughs) uh, We became close friends and everything else. He used to, um, uh, worked for Kmart many years before that. Uh, both of them are from the United States. Mm-hmm. Both of them speak fluent Mandarin, which is hilarious because Chinese factories will talk behind their backs as if not, not expecting as, them. Yeah, expecting them. That's right. Um, but the, a good sourcing agent will change your life. Mm. A bad sourcing agent is... Will ruin mistake. it. Yeah. <laughs> They're not going to negotiate for you. They may only look yeah. on 1688. They may not know the difference between an 85 GSM mm. uh, sheet and, 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 and a 200. yeah. Uh, exactly. It's, it's, yeah. It's, so you want the good ones. You do need the good ones. But in my experience, when you do get a good one, they, the price is... you know Because a, there, is, there is a Western price and there is a Chinese price. And, and um, you know, they, they often get that great price and they also help with like consolidation of samples for example you know oh yeah just little things like that that are just and and help with qc and you know it's amazing Mm -hmm. what they can do and how they can help you so um yeah so i'm a huge fan of sourcing agents because they also know when to go to a trading company when it's appropriate and they also know when to go direct to a factory when that's appropriate and unless for hmm. me i can fly i'm flying to orlando next week Mm -hmm. it costs me less to go round trip to china than it does to go from seattle to orlando so it's, it's very easy. In fact, yeah. um, if like because I sell to retailers, I'll ha- I have large floor displays. They're called shippers. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I have a, I'm having four of them shipped to me right now in FedEx. It costs me less to fly there and inspect it in person than to have the shippers FedExed here. Oh my god! So I have no problem getting on a plane and flying. But mm. um, if you are if you're new. Mm. If you're working a nine to five or an eight to five job, mm. if you've got a kid at home, there's all sorts of really strong reasons why you shouldn't be hopping on an airplane. Mm. Mm. And that agent becomes your, your, your feet on the ground. That becomes your person there. And that's also absolutely invaluable. Fantastic. Do you know that we have actually been gossiping away for the last, for almost an hour. So oh my. We're, we're Sorry about right. that. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> just um conscious of time though so um well i'll tell you so, what we, yeah, we tell can me choose more. what to wrap up now and we yeah. can do this again well let's let's come back because i think there's some other topics that we sort of touched on um that i would love to talk about particularly about how to get your products into big box retail i think that was one area that i'd really really um enjoy another hour or so of your time to talk about that and i'm sure we can come up with some other topics as well i know that you're wealth Absolutely. of experience and information but Let's wrap it up now. Let's, um, so how do we get in touch with you? And tell us more about the productdevelopmentacademy.com. So the, um, I had a, a wonderful program uh, with my partner and we went off to the Canton Fair and we helped people develop products and everything. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, we each now have our, our own program. She's got a great program. I'm very proud of, of, of my program. But my program is, first of all, very small. Mm-hmm. It's 16 people. That's it. Wow. Uh, it's one to four mentors to, to participants. Um, if we have people who want to go beyond 16, then I've already got more mentors lined up. But cool. our mentors are amazing, and I'll talk about them in a moment. But let's just sure. talk about the program. Yeah. Um, we start you off right away with identifying 
products. As I said, we take you through the whole process of making sure that they are uh, validated, that they are profitable. And this is all called, you're going to love this name, it's called the fuzzy front end. That's the traditional name <laughs> in, this, in, in product development because everything's just fuzzy math. You're guessing at things. You're hoping that you're going to be successful in everything. Can and I, then we take you through, yeah. Just let me hold you just one second. You got it. If I am thinking about joining the productdevelopmentacademy.com and I don't have any idea for any kind of product at all, is, the, is your program okay for me? As a, if, you know, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so you can- We you take can, you through- we take you through ideation okay. and what we don't do is like, you know, as I said, a lot of successful pro- products solve a problem, but yes. a lot of successful products are just something yes. else. People have to want to buy it. And, uh, and, and, but taking it the other way and saying, Oh, just solve a problem. That's going to uh, give you a successful product. Not always. Mm. And uh, uh, the best I can, I can explain that is uh, uh, a little twist on the, the famous Henry Ford quote. Um, if you're just trying to solve a problem, then the world would be filled with faster horses. Mm. Um, instead, <laughs> he said cars. Yeah. And uh, I had experience with that at Microsoft when we had a response to a competitor who came up with something very cool. We could either respond in kind or with something unique, which, which we did. I can't talk about it because I was in the room for the business conversation. <laughs> was it Netscape? But, was that what it was? <laughs> no, 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 no. But... Uh, but another, another example is, um, is Steve Jobs. The, yeah. uh, the Nano Rio was a great little MP3 player. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of like was teardrop shaped and everything. Mm-hmm. And instead of saying, hey, I can, I can understand what people are not liking about the Nano Rio, what they're asking for in the Nano Rio, and put it out there and have our own MP3 player. Instead, mm-hmm. he, you know, he created the, the iPod. I, yeah. iPod, yeah, iPod. It was. Um, he realized there was a need and he took it. So... Mm-hmm. It's not just solving a problem, but doing it the right way that people want and so on. So yes. And in fact, just to give a, a different perspective on that, the people that we have coming into the program are not just Amazon sellers. I mean, Amazon sellers are great because they recognize what selling products can do. Yeah. But also people who are fans of Shark Tank or Dragon's Den, mm-hmm. entrepreneurs who want to start off. So we start from the beginning. We teach you everything. We assume there's no... Uh, set knowledge. We're going to start you at base zero and then we build you up mm-hmm. all the way through sourcing, which we do at the Canton Fair, talking with your factories, factories negotiating yeah. it with them. I wrote a book called the Canton Fair Workbook, cool. which you can get on Amazon. And it has all the questions you want to ask your suppliers when you're mm-hmm. actually sitting down and meeting with them. It also has all sorts of uh, things to look for and ask about when you visit their factories. So we take you through that. Um, and then we take you through um, how to get it onto retail shelves, starting off with cool. small retailers. How do you approach small retailers? Mm-hmm. What do you ask? When do you ask them? How do you get in front of them? Mm-hmm. How do you build a sales force for specialty stores? Mm-hmm. Um, once you're in specialty stores and you've gotten all the uh, uh, kinks out of uh, the process, you can start looking at small chains and larger chains. Now you're no longer selling to the owners. You're selling to a corporate buyer. Yeah. How do you find them? How do you reach them? How do you set an appointment? What do you say to them? What do you bring with you? What should you have on your back end as far as your warehousing? Because you're not going to be doing it through FBA. Now you're in a warehouse. Yeah. Yeah. You have to worry about EDI. EDI is how you're going to get That's right. your, purchase, your uh, orders. Uh, purchase orders, how you're going to get paid, mm-hmm. how you're going to find out what you need to replenish in your stock and so on. But so we take you literally from soup to nuts. And then just as a personal thing, the very last mantra we talk about, frankly, is giving back. Because I think that entrepreneurs, when they succeed, um, just as, as a species, we are very giving people. Mm. And, and every entrepreneur I've, I've worked with has, uh, has felt like I have, that, hey, if I'm lucky, I'm successful. I want to give back. And that's just, well, that's, that's the personal side of it, but uh, that, that works. And, and it's it very much the people that, well, it, it's your audience. It's the people in, in right. my group. It's the people who were doing this. Well, Stephen, you have definitely given back in spades today with us, uh, dear, dear watchers and audience listeners. So, and to me personally. So thank you very, very much for coming on today's show. And I'm, 
desperate to get you back. Let's uh, let's do another Excellent. session so, in the next. So next time, I'll, I'll I'll tell you where to get really nice um, knockoff watches when you're in China. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> That's a great tip. All right, buddy. Thank you very much again for coming on the show, and look forward to catching up with you very soon. Absolutely, Chris. Thank you very much. Cheers. Take care. Links and show notes for this episode can be found over at theaustralianseller.com forward slash podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher or your favorite podcast platform. Sign up to my email over at theaustralianseller.com and I'll send you a note each time I publish a new podcast episode. Thanks so much again for listening.